Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Uh, hey, Caitlin. Yes, Jamie. I have a proposition for a road trip, but there's a twist. Okay. It's the saddest road trip of all time. <laughs> You know what? That sounds okay to me. I'm in. What if we went on a road trip, but in the process of the road trip, we faced not just one of our demons, but literally all of our demons and came out on the other side better people. But it's going to be pretty, it's going to be, it's going to be a ride. It's going to be a painful ride. And I'm going to throw your canteen into a ditch. (laughs) I'm in. All right, let's do it. I mean, honestly, it'll be worth it. Yeah. It'll be worth it. I love it. I. It sounds like we'll spend some quality time together. Oh, we're going to learn a thing or two about a thing or two. That's for sure. Wow. Beautiful. Welcome to the Bechtelcast. My name is Caitlin Durante. My name is Jamie Loftus. And this is our podcast where we take a look at your favorite movies using an intersectional feminist lens. Today is no exception. No episode is any exception, except maybe the Human <clears throat> Centipede episode. I would say that was maybe an <gasps> exception. Although that might have been our most feminist episode. <laughs> well, it's also the most feminist movie we've ever covered. So yeah, I mean, it wasn't hard. Like, what did we even say besides perfect movie, end of episode? I think that that's all we said. I think it was a one minute yeah. episode. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that that is what the podcast is about. Um, but Caitlin, what the heck hell hockey sticks are is... Um, <laughs> The Bechtel test. Well, Jamie, I'll tell you. It's a media metric created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechtel, sometimes called the Bechtel-Wallace test, mm-hmm. wherein our version of the test requires that two people of a marginalized gender have names, talk to each other about something other than a man, and hopefully that's a narratively meaningful conversation. 
We have an interesting, uh, we have an interesting movie in that regard today. We have an interesting movie in every single regard today. Uh, I'm very, very excited to cover uh, Smoke Signals. Same. And we've got an amazing guest here with us we sure do. for that discussion. She's a content writer for A Tribe Called Geek. She's a citizen of Caddo Nation. It's Olivia Woodward. Hello! I am so excited to be here. Nawi Nawi, Kumbankia Olivia Woodward, Hayat Hate Atebosa. My name is Olivia, and it is so good to see y'all. It is so good Thank to you see for joining you. Us. Thank you for being here. This is like a dream. I've been a big fan of the podcast for a very long time, so I'm <gasps> so excited to be here. And this is like also one of my favorite movies, so awesome. Very excited. Oh, goodness. Amazing. Tell us about your relationship and your history with smoke signals yeah so this is like a classic native american movie everyone in my generation older i'm not quite sure about younger but definitely older all of us have seen this movie this is like the native movie maybe for like the u.s natives i can't really speak for indigenous people in canada but Mm -hmm. i know for us we quote i quote it with my best friend all the time (laughs) Mm -hmm. very Uh, quotable movie yeah Mm -hmm. yeah So this came out in 1998, and I Mm -hmm. was a child. Um, So I don't think I saw this in theaters. I think it was one of those where once it came out on VHS, we all got together at like the community center and watched it as a group because it was one of the first mainstream Native movies that we all got to see that was made by Native people, starring Native people. So, Mm -hmm. And then it just becomes like a yearly movie that you watch, right? (laughs) Yeah, so Smoke Signals is recognized as the first feature-length film written, directed, and produced by Native Americans that reached a wide audience both in the U.S. and abroad. So it's like a very significant film in that regard. Mm -hmm. Jamie, what is your history with Smoke Signals? Um, I had seen portions of this movie before in high school I believe and then also I think I've seen like it's one of those movies that I feel like it's on a lot we talk about movies like this all the time like it's it's on tv a lot I'd see I watched it in high school because I had an English teacher that we did a big unit on Sherman Alexie's writing which I think I mean was I think for me certainly the only indigenous writer that we studied in all of school sounds about right (laughs) right right typical american education well you're lucky because we did not discuss any native authors where i went Mm, so (laughs) that's well i mean it's really cool to hear that you got that in your school i think sometimes it's up to the teachers Mm -hmm. on what they taught and that was just something we never got in our curriculum Hmm. i i very i mean and sherman alexi complicated figure um, yes, which we don't have the purview for really in this episode, but like I want to acknowledge that. But yeah, in high school, we definitely read uh, The Lone Ranger and Tonto Fist Fight in Heaven, which includes the short story that this movie is adapted on. And I we watched it in class, and I remember really liking it, but I haven't like revisited the movie in many years. And um, I'm so glad that we're revisiting this movie. It is such a I, it's like it there's so many reasons to applaud the director Chris Ayer for the tone that this movie strikes but for a movie that tackles a lot it still is mm-hmm. such a fun road movie and like you're saying Caitlin it's so quotable and it's so rewatchable and um 
yeah, I, I had a great time watching the movie, and I'm excited to talk about it. Same. Uh, Caitlin, what's your history with Smoke Signals? I didn't have one. This is my first time seeing it. I'm really excited to talk about it. I wasn't expecting it to be as funny as it is. And it's also extremely, like you said, Jamie, it like strikes this really interesting tone where it's like very moving, very compelling. There's, you know, moments of intense drama, but there's also a lot of comedy. And it's it's just a, a really interesting, fun story. So um, I guess with that in mind, should we just do the recap and go from there? Let's jump in. You gotta close your eyes though when you do it. <laughs> right. Like Thomas. <laughs> yes, I will be emulating Thomas throughout the recap. Um, okay. So we're on the Curdaline Indian Reservation in Idaho. It's July 4th, 1976, aka the Bicentennial. A couple, Maddie and John, builds the fire, is throwing a huge party at their house on the reservation. Then we get voiceover from Thomas Builds the Fire, who tells us that in the middle of the night after this party, a fire tore through the house, killing the narrator's mother and father. But he was saved. He was a baby at the time who was thrown from a window. And a man named Arnold Joseph, played by Gary Farmer, catches him and delivers him into the arms of baby Thomas's grandmother. In the aftermath of the fire, we meet Arnold Joseph's family, his wife Arlene, and his infant son Victor. Arnold mourns the tragedy of this fire by cutting his hair and turning to alcohol abuse. Mm. And then one day he gets in his truck and leaves his family forever. We then cut to 1998, uh, Thomas played by Evan Adams, Mm -hmm. and Victor, played by Adam Beach, are now young men. Thomas is, he's a sweet guy. He's a bit of an oddball. He always wears a suit. He has a propensity for telling stories and tall tales. Uh, Victor, on the other hand, has a bit of a prickly, cynical attitude. They don't really get along with each other. Nor did they as kids, because we flash back to Thomas and Victor as like 12 year olds. We see a flashback where Thomas tells Victor that he heard his dad, Arnold, had moved to Phoenix, Arizona after Arnold left his family. Mm-hmm. Back in the present, uh, or 1998 at least, um, Victor's mother gets a call from a woman named Susie Song saying that Arnold had passed away and that someone should come to Phoenix to get his stuff. So Victor's trying to figure out how to do this, what exactly to do, and Thomas offers to help him. He has some money saved up and can help Victor get to Phoenix, but Thomas wants to go with him. And he's also, like, bankrolling the trip, too. Right, yes. He has a jar of, (laughs) a huge jar of... What looks like some like singles, maybe some like five dollar bills, but it's mostly coins. I love Thomas so much. <laughs> you know, nineteen ninety eight money. That honestly, that could get you a couple tickets. That's a house, basically. <laughs> That's a house. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so Thomas wants to go on this trip. Victor clearly does not want this, but then Victor's mom Arlene encourages 
Victor to go with Thomas, basically saying that it's okay to accept help from others. That's what a community does for each other. And she also makes Victor promise that if he does go, that he will come back. So then Victor goes to Thomas and says that he will accept his help and that Thomas can come with him. So they set off, uh, first getting a ride to the bus station from a couple friends who drive their car in reverse the whole time, which is never explained. Uh, uh, Okay, it's just kind of no. So, okay, I'm not from a reservation, but I have friends and cousins who live on a reservation. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of a commentary on how there are no real like functioning cars. (laughs) Okay. okay. So you I just kind of like make do with what you got. It's like they're basically the quintessential res car. So that's, that's nice. kind of what where that came from. <laughs> got, it, got, got it. it. So they get this ride and then they get on a bus where they interact with a few people, including a gymnast woman from Mississippi and then a couple of racist white men. Uh, throughout the movie, we're also getting flashbacks of different things. Victor and his father, Victor and Thomas as kids. Thomas also tells various stories along the way, often about Arnold, how he was a hippie, how he took Thomas to Denny's. Uh, We also see a flashback of Arlene begging Arnold to quit drinking, and that's when Arnold takes off and leaves his family for good. We see young Victor be absolutely devastated by this, and he takes out some of this kind of emotional turmoil on young Thomas. So that's part of their kind of rocky relationship. Uh, Back in the present, Victor and Thomas finally arrive in Phoenix and walk to Victor's dad's trailer where they meet Susie Song, played by Irene Bedard, who is Arnold's neighbor who had called Victor's mom. So then Susie gives Victor his father's ashes. Victor is like in a rush to leave, but kind of at the insistence of Thomas, they end up staying and hanging out with Susie for a bit. Uh, Thomas tells Susie some stories, uh, such as one story about a feast where Victor's mom fed 100 people, even though she only had 50 pieces of fry bread. That's my favorite story. That's the one where we have powwow and we'll be like, and she took the fry bread and she ripped it (laughs) in (laughs) half. And you like you know that's where the story's going, but the way he tells it, it's just so like, uh, so cinematic almost. I, it's, I know. <laughs> it's he really sells it, and I and my favorite part of every story Thomas tells is when they cut to whoever he's telling the story to, right after he finishes like this huge climax, and then it like cuts to Susie, and she's like, "Yeah, that was a pretty good story." <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, I love when he's telling the story to the two women in the car that only goes backwards, and yeah. they're like, "Okay, what do we what do we think? Was that a good enough story to like deserve giving you a ride?" And the one friend is like, "I think it was a great example of the oral tradition." And then they like yeah. all crack up laughing. It's it's so <laughs> funny. It's very sweet. Okay, so then so Thomas is telling stories. We also get some flashbacks where we see Susie and Arnold becoming friends. Uh, We see Arnold talking about his past and his family, talking about Victor. Meanwhile, Victor is questioning the nature of the relationship that Arnold had with Susie. She said that they, like, kept each other's secrets. Victor seems resentful that she was close with Arnold while, like, Victor hadn't seen him for years and years. Victor's also reluctant to deal with his dad's 
stuff, aka deal with the past. <laughs> um, Susie then reveals that Arnold told her about the fire on that 4th of July and that it was Arnold who had accidentally started it while he was drunk and also that he went back into the house to save his infant son, Victor, though Victor thought it was always his mom who had saved him. And Susie also says that Arnold had wanted to go home and return to his family. He never, you know, meant to die in Phoenix, but that's simply what happened. So then Victor finally goes through his father's things. He cuts his hair with a knife that he had found. And then he and Thomas leave early the next morning in Arnold's truck without telling Susie goodbye or anything like that. Emotions are running high in this car ride. Victor and Thomas start arguing. Victor is saying that Thomas holds Arnold in such high regard, even though he was a drunk, abusive liar. And Thomas is saying, no, 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 he was more than that. And you just need to grow up. And yeah, your dad left your mom, but you left your mom also. And you're worse because you still live in the same house with her. And then your heart just goes like, oh, my God. I, oh God. All right, Thomas. And, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right, but geez. He's so naive and yet so wise. <laughs> right? I know. <laughs> so as they're yelling at each other, they nearly collide with a car on the road that had already crashed. Uh, this drunk white man is belligerent. He's trying to blame the accident on Victor and Thomas. Another woman in another car is badly injured. And even though the closest town is 20 miles away, Victor sets off on foot to try to get some help. He's running. He's reflecting on the past. We're getting a lot of images from the fire and just his past. Uh, he collapses in exhaustion. He has a vision of his father helping him up. And then we cut to the hospital where Victor is recovering. It seems like they might be in trouble with the law because this drunk guy is still insisting that the accident was Victor's fault. But then they're released and Victor and Thomas head back to the reservation. When they arrive, they split Arnold's ashes and discuss their plans for laying the ashes to rest. Uh, Victor returns to his mother. Thomas returns to his grandmother. There's voiceover about from Thomas about how do we forgive our fathers and then we see Victor pouring out Arnold's ashes in a river and I think that's is that the last thing we see that's what that's where I stopped the recap but I didn't put a period and I was like did I mean to write more (laughs) and then and then Thomas you know there's there's these Thomas interludes Mm -hmm. um, and it ends on and Thomas you know I would expect no less from him he really puts a beautiful bow on Mm-hmm. the story yes i am in love with thomas and that's the movie <laughs> that is the movie Yay. so let's take a quick break and then we will come right back to discuss happy pride from tomboy x celebrating pride in the queer community all year queer founded queer run and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Me. 
Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we're and back. Um, where do we want to begin? Olivia, does anything jump out to you right away as uh, wanting to start somewhere? Sure. Um, so I guess my, well, okay. The question, the first thing I wrote on here to ask both of y'all is which of Thomas's stories was y'all's favorite? Mm. This might just be, I did love the fry bread, like Arlene splitting the fry bread in half. That might be my favorite, but I also, because I'm such a Denny's head and he tells it, <laughs> he tells the story about Arnold taking him to Denny's like three different times, I want to say. Mm-hmm. I love that story. Jamie, you and I just went to Denny's together the Literally other day, yesterday, so it's... or two days ago. <laughs> two days ago, yeah. We loved it, and I, I yeah, I, I really liked the Denny's story partially because it seemed like it was Thomas's favorite story, also. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also this isn't Thomas's story, but I really loved Arnold's story about the basketball game against the Jesuits. Yes. Just mm. like the way that the actor like sells the story and the way, I don't know. I mean, there's so many things that this movie does so like seamlessly and beautifully that like in the hands of a less capable director could have seemed so corny or clunky. But like the way that the timeline of this movie is constantly shifting, but it's never confusing and it's always very fluid. And the way that the stories are illustrated in this like, you can tell that there's stories as they're being acted out and like it's acted out in this like big mythic way in the way that the rest of the movie isn't. And I just, yeah, I, I just like love how this movie is crafted, but I, I really liked the basketball story as well. Mm-hmm. What's your, what's your favorite Olivia? Oh, definitely the fry bread story. The fry bread. Oh, right. Classic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't lie me and my my friend will text each other that sometimes like and she talked about her so that's just the classic among us yeah I, I always appreciate the way they portray the storytelling in this movie mm-hmm. because so I grew up with my tribe I didn't grow up on a reservation I grew up I was known as an urban Indian um, mm-hmm. because I grew up in the city 
But uh, I was still very connected to my tribe growing up. And storytelling is an essential part of our culture, of how we pass down our mythologies, our religions, our ceremony. And in movies that have Native characters that are not by Native people, the way the Native character tells the story is like always stoic and like straight faced. But that is not how we tell stories. That would be boring. We wouldn't do that for mm-hmm. thousands of years, right? So <laughs> mm-hmm. right. I, I really appreciated how how cinematic all of them were when they were telling their stories, mm-hmm. especially the the dad. And a part that stuck out to me quite a bit that, of course, like, made me think of a million different things is it's like a flashback and Arnold is talking to young Victor in the car and he kind of goes on a little drunken speech because he's definitely drinking and driving which is not great Mm -hmm. but the part that really stuck out to me a lot is it's the speech where he's imagining it's such a good day I'm a magician I can make this disappear and that it's that Mm -hmm. monologue also a lot of monologues in this movie too (laughs) Uh, and the part that really stuck out to me was making the Catholics disappear Mm -hmm. and going into this movie you know when I was younger it was just a fun movie that had characters that looked like my friends and family but as an adult i can really see how generational trauma affected my parents and affected my grandparents and that's like kind of what arnold was um you know he didn't want to be a drunk but right i I would assume that he his community was directly affected by residential schools and boarding Mm -hmm. schools Mm -hmm. so i feel like that's kind of a hard thing for me as an adult watching this is hard to ignore like that is a big reason why Arnold is the way he is. But yeah, that uh, the speech in the car, I, that's also another one of my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, wait, so you said a bunch of things and I want to address a bunch of things. <laughs> there. <laughs> I have kind of like two general thoughts about the movie. One is that this is such a great example of a movie that depending on the viewer. So for example, if it's a native viewer, this movie gives them the opportunity to see themselves, their culture, their family dynamics represented on screen in a respectful and meaningful way. If it's a viewer who is, I would say probably you're just like average non-native person, gives that viewer an opportunity to see a culture on screen that they might not know that much about. Uh, that they probably have some preconceived notions about because of other media that relies on stereotypes and tropes, Mm -hmm. many of which are harmful. And it gives those viewers a chance to learn about a culture from filmmakers who are from that culture. So it's like such a, regardless of who is seeing this, it's such a beautiful film yeah it's it's really fun for me because growing up i only the only other people i knew who saw this film was native people mm-hmm. and i never pressured my non-native friends to watch it because i just assumed they wouldn't get it but now as i get older i don't want to say forcing them but <laughs> <laughs> to have a greater you know to kind of understand me a little bit more I, and i'm very passionate about movies and media in general so to understand mm-hmm. me more is to watch smoke signal so I have been having close non-native friends watch it. So it's really interesting to see the reaction because I, I guess my worry with this film is that it's not relatable to non-native. So it's really nice to hear that it is relatable. And Well, that's my other general thought, <laughs> which is it's 
It's just a story about two young men who are dealing with very relatable things. They're dealing with generational trauma in vastly different ways. They are learning from each other. They are reconciling their relationship along the way. And it's one of those stories that, yeah, I feel like Hollywood executives would be like, "Mm, this is too specific. This is about a culture that won't resonate with your average American. Therefore, people won't see it and we can't make money from a story like this. But it's such a universal story about such universal things like Mm -hmm. friendship and reconciling your past and your present and learning lessons and dealing with family stuff. Both characters have a compelling arc about things that are like, again, very universal and relatable. So even though it centers characters from a specific culture, one, that shouldn't matter. And two, it's still such a relatable thing that they're dealing with that anyone can enjoy this movie. I loved uh, one thing that really stuck out to me with and you'll start to sense a heavy Thomas bias because I just really love (laughs) and as I was watching it I remember feeling the same way in high school you know like when you haven't seen a movie in a long time you're like oh I was just as like oh he's the best in high school um but I really like how again this movie just like does so much with such a like deft writing touch that would have felt clunky in the hands of a less capable writer director um Mm -hmm. but the way that thomas is referencing quite a bit existing media that portrays his culture that is made by white people and is way off the mark i mean they're talking about that in the movie constantly and also it's clear that thomas is still influenced by that media because there's just so much of it and mm-hmm. i thought like the conversation that thomas and victor have on the bus where thomas is kind of rattling off all these different depictions of indigenous people in in like american movies and he's kind of making fun of it but but victor's like oh you've probably seen dances with wolves 200 times he's kind of bullshitting but then but thomas is like thomas is like well (laughs) and it just like the the movie very like seamlessly addresses how poorly indigenous people have been represented in the past and like how little there was in terms of Mm -hmm. any representation that indigenous people were included in or didn't center around a white savior or and then Mm -hmm. and then you know john wayne's teeth is uh, oh my gosh classic song song. (laughs) i love that it starts out with them just like improving that song on the bus and then it cuts to like diegetic or non-diegetic music i never remember which one's which but it's basically like a song on the soundtrack of this movie about john wayne's teeth and i was like this is comedy gold number one (laughs) just Uh, amazing okay so i don't want to assume anything but have y'all been to a powwow before i have not no Okay, so what they are doing in that moment is um, what's called like a 1491 song. So at powwows, there are drum groups. And mm-hmm. so, I, okay, maybe real quick, don't want to assume too much of my audience, but a powwow is a gathering of Native people of all different tribes. It's usually an all-day event, and it includes dancing and vendors and socializing. It's really fun. Mm -hmm. Also, there's ceremony involved. We will honor people, we'll welcome people into the circle. And so there's always drum groups. Um, I know in the South, so 
Also, I'm a native from the South, and some of the things we do are different than natives from the North. And I feel the need to say that because I don't want to (laughs) make it assume I know everything about all natives. There are over Mm -hmm. 500 tribes alone in the U.S. So, Mm -hmm. but in the South, powwows have a Southern drum and a Northern drum. And some drum groups, in order to warm up, will do 1491 songs. And those are like the funny songs and the joke songs. So that way nice. they can warm up. So that's basically what they're doing. So again, a really fun thing for me mm-hmm. <laughs> watching this movie. Because I'm like, oh, that that's really funny. And I've already seen that all the time. I love seeing the movie. And it's fun to watch it translate to non-Native people who have never even been to a powwow. And don't mm-hmm. even have the context for that. And can still enjoy it the same way. That's, that's so cool. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, I, I didn't know any of that. I would love to go to a powwow. Are, are non-native people welcome? Oh, yeah. Non-native people are very much invited to powwows. Now, like, there are certain rules. Mm-hmm, sure. Kind of follow what everyone else does. Um, and all, it depends, again, like, where you are. But in general, native uh, non-natives are very much welcomed at powwows. It's one of the few native things that non-natives are always welcomed at. Mm-hmm. And it's also great if you, you know, spend your money there. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so part of the community. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Uh, but yes, non-natives are very much invited. Um, yeah. And I, I know there are, there's a really large native community in um, California as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can send y'all some information. I would love that. On the powwows that happen there. But yeah, powwows are super fun. That's why like, it's not really cool to be like, let's have a powwow when you're talking about like a sales meeting. Uh, because yeah. <laughs> it's a real it's special thing that we do but um back to the conversation on the bus mm-hmm. it's a really fun conversation because again in 2022 oh my god yeah. we recognize too that they are criticizing dances with wolves but natives at the time like my parents age and my aunt's age dances with wolves was a huge deal because they used mm-hmm. actual native actors mm, so right. that's part of the reason why Thomas watches Dances with Wolves so much because at the time, that's kind of like all we had. Yeah. And the 90s are a really interesting time in Native cinema. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like considered, I, I guess, a renaissance of Native films because mm. while Smoke Signals is probably the most famous, we also got um, Dance Me Outside, which is really well known within the Native community, and Pow Wow Highway. And mm-hmm. what I love about all of those movies is that they're funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, even starting with natives did participate in entertainment. And I'm going to go way back to like vaudeville time. Mm-hmm. We were always stereotyped as like the noble savage. And that's kind of what we got stuck with for centuries, basically. Mm-hmm. And then in the 90s, filmmakers were able to get funding and start showing different parts of being native. And yes, we all do tend to have a shared trauma and a shared history, but we're also really funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how we get through it. Mm-hmm. So that was also really exciting too about the 90s. And then I feel like there were some movies in between now, but now in 2021 and 2022, we have TV shows like Rutherford Falls and mm-hmm. Reservation Dogs. Mm-hmm. So it feels like we're going back into another native media renaissance that is very exciting. Yeah, definitely. I hope so. A few thoughts uh, when Victor is asking Thomas, like, you haven't seen Dances with Wolves 100, 200 times. And he's like, maybe. It's you and Titanic, first of all. Exactly. Yeah. Me and Titanic. <laughs> saw that coming um. from five miles away. <laughs> like, they should have seen that damn me. iceberg. The iceberg. Wow. All right. <laughs> we suck. Okay. <laughs> we absolutely suck. Um, what you were just talking about, Olivia, in terms of... Um, 
and I think we've talked about this before on the podcast, especially on, I want to say it was a Matreon episode on what we do in the shadows, mm-hmm. where especially from like studios or anyone who is funding stories by marginalized people, they're always like, well, you're going to want to do this tragedy porn, right? Because that's the only story you have to tell, right? Right. And obviously that's not the case. And, you know, there's so many filmmakers who want to explore many different tones and genres and, and stories. And it, and I just remember commenting on how I loved that What We Do in the Shadows was a movie by indigenous filmmakers that is just them being silly vampires. Right. <laughs> so so for, for Smoke Signals, it feels, even though it's like, a lot of aspects of indigenous culture are referenced and are a huge part of the movie and pretty serious heavy topics are examined. It's not the tragedy porn that a white Hollywood exec would insist (laughs) indigenous filmmakers to make. So, yeah, I I feel like it's, it's just like another, it's, it's like something that is so obvious, but whenever it comes to like, Mr. Hollywood stuff, it kind of goes back to that discussion where it's like a movie can be culturally specific and really funny and not a tragedy porn, which this movie is like a perfect case study of. Mm -hmm. One thing that I really love, too, that was very relatable is the conversation that Victor and Thomas have and Victor Mm -hmm. trying to teach Thomas how to be a real Indian um, is very relatable, um, especially as someone who grew up within the city around a lot of non-native people. One thing Mm -hmm. I grew up a lot with is when people saw, so first off, I grew up in Texas, which if you are Mm -hmm. brown with dark features, you're Mexican, right? So I grew up not being visually recognized as native. And then it doesn't happen much anymore, but growing up, when I would tell people I was native, they would be like, well, you don't look native. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, what does that mean? Um, So their conversation was fun for me because the elders and at the powwows, they would joke and be like, well, you have to look serious all the time. We're serious folk. And then they're like off laughing somewhere about cakes or whatever. Mm. But yeah, so I like that a lot because that's something, you know, Native people look different across the continent. So I thought that was a really interesting exploration. Uh, like, that's something I would want to talk about is like, what does a Native person even look like? What is There's no right way to be Natives. There are serious Natives, there are silly Natives, there are mm-hmm. all kind of, kinds of Natives. So I really enjoyed that conversation as well because I feel like it kind of also tells the audience, you don't know what a Native looks like and that's okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. You just have to believe when they tell you, I am, you know, I'm Native and this is my history. So, yeah. Yeah, part of that was Victor being like, yeah, you have to look really serious and mean you have to look mean or else white people won't respect you and your hair is done up in all these braids you have to take it you know let your hair loose and he's like you know he's like kind of rattling off different things and thomas clearly takes it to heart for a little while because then you see and he's because he's also like you have to take off that suit um so then in the next scene like, you see what are you, that what are you talking about <laughs> love his suit <laughs> his, his suit thomas is very cute his braids are beautiful but he like uh, he like takes off all that stuff and i think he only looks like that for one scene because in the next scene he he's like back in the suit he's back in his braids because he's like, wait a minute, I can present any way I want. I'm yeah. myself. Like, <laughs> also, real quick, since we're kind of talking about the braids, I'm pretty sure the actor who plays Thomas, I'm pretty sure that's his real hair. Mm. Um, but Adam Beach, who plays Victor, 
I don't think that's, I think it's a wig, especially oh when he God. cuts it off. Especially when he cuts it, okay. It, the wig, okay, I'm glad we're talking, because the wig <laughs> in the last, and it's, it's hard, because it's like, that's where a lot of the really, really serious moments in the movie are. And he's wearing this goofy wig. Like, it's like I don't know. Party City. They did him so dirty. <laughs> it was a wild, it was a wild wig. I usually have a good eye for wigs, not to brag. But I mean, yes, true. I historically have a good eye for wigs. I wasn't, I, I wasn't thinking wig for most of the movie but maybe that was just a better wig but the whatever the end the third act wig <laughs> flop i don't know they did him so dirty i don't know i know <laughs> why they did that he was like i mean the acting in this movie is incredible and to be undercut by a bad wig is just not nice especially during the emotional like peak of the movie too i just oh. right. when you forgive the sins of your father and you're wearing that wig, or like a karen wig <laughs> he's got a bob um i was actually wondering if you would speak to the significance of hair yeah as it gets like referenced in the movie because there's the part at the beginning where it's mentioned that arnold mourned the fire by cutting off his hair and never growing it back Mm -hmm. then we have the scene where victor's telling thomas to take his hair out of his braids because quote an indian man ain't nothing without his hair Mm -hmm. and then when victor is like really finally like coming face to face with his past and he's going through his father's belongings and kind of reconciling all that he almost seems to like ceremoniously cut off his hair so yeah just if you could speak to the significance of that of course yeah i actually wrote down notes on that um so hair and again i can't speak for every nation but one thing that a lot of nations do share is relationship to our hair it's considered kind of an extension of your i mean technically it is it's like an extension of your skin so it's another Mm -hmm. way of kind of feeling the world around you Mm -hmm. so the different hairstyles can mean different things but in general whenever someone in your family dies or someone close to you dies you you cut your hair um, to kind of help with the mourning process mm-hmm. so it's kind of like because the hair is kind of like an extra sensor to the world and so whenever you're sad mm-hmm. it becomes more sensitive almost so you cut uh-huh. it to kind of help process everything and then with the new growth is also helping like you not only say move on because never really move on from anyone's death but to kind mm-hmm. of like branch into your new life with your new hair so it's like a very symbolic thing yeah yeah um and within most indigenous nations and tribes um hair is not does not equate gender like at all mm-hmm. um, maybe certain styles might but having long hair does not equal feminine or masculine, really, mm-hmm. which was a very weird thing for me growing up. Um, whenever, like, all these non-native boys would grow out their hair and them being, like, rebellious. And I'm like, okay, well, you're barely uh-huh. washing it, so I don't <laughs> really saying anything. Um, but because with native boys, native boys and native men take usually take really good care of the hair, the same way, you know, most women are expected to. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, so one thing I noticed, too, in the movie is that Arnold basically never lets his hair grow back out. Um, and I yeah. think that symbolizes his continuing mourning and also his continued guilt. Right. So yeah, that's kind of the symbolism of the hair is that it's basically an extension of us. Mm-hmm. I was wondering that about Arnold because the I think that either it's Thomas's narration or Victor 
points it out that his that his dad never grew his hair back and that being significant that's thank you for um mm-hmm. for sharing that and 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 then it's like that i guess it, is that screenwriting is that the end of the second act but when when victor finally cuts <laughs> his hair and kind of that symbolizes that he's accepted his dad's death to some extent i mean i think someone here has a master's degree in this, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is it Caitlin? Well, I would never mention it, but I do have a master's degree in screenwriting from Boston <laughs> University. I, um, I wasn't really examining the movie through a structural point of view, but yeah, that does feel around the end of the second act. Yeah. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> Before we move on to the second act, I just or move past that, I do just want to recognize the aunties in the car mm. they are so iconic and again adding to how funny <laughs> we are yes <laughs> um i oh my gosh i just i love them so much i just wanted to give them more attention real quick <laughs> before we moved on i mean they deserve all the shouts let's <laughs> let's talk about that because i wish that i was um one of the only because also this movie is so like economical in the way it tells the story like it's a tight 90 minutes mm-hmm. but I was I was kind of hoping that they would come back again. <laughs> I was I was bummed out. I mean, although it's like the the story reaches such a perfect full circle where you see them return home, you see Victor give Arnold ashes to Arlene, you see um, Grandma reunite with Thomas. I love how much they look alike. I just I mm. love them, but I was just hoping that we would see the two women in the car again. And get one more radio station shout out because I loved the the radio station sequences oh. are so funny. <laughs> There's so many fun motifs. Yeah, the the traffic slash weather report it's on K Res Radio. Loved that. Mm-hmm. Love that like fry bread is a motif in the movie. Yeah. Love that Denny's is a motif in the movie. <laughs> Love that just like Thomas telling the story to anyone who will listen and sometimes to people who don't want to listen and then always <laughs> victor saying you're full of shit <laughs> like, that's not what happened they're also this movie is like just chock full of well-known native actors and well-known native people mm-hmm. so the radio host is named alex trudell and he's like a really uh well-known poet within mm. the native community so it's always really fun hearing him and then almost all the actors have gone on to do both native Native projects and non-native projects. Mm-hmm. The father Arnold, he is a reoccurring character in Reservation Dogs, and he is so funny. Yeah, Adam Beach is probably the more well-known name from this movie. Mm-hmm. I think the most recent big project he was in that I can think of right now was Suicide Squad from a few years ago. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. about to say he's like Mr. Superhero. Yeah, um, Michael Gray Eyes uh, has a very short cameo. He's one of the basketball players in the first movie. Oh, one of the yeah. dreamiest people ever. He has done several movies, and right now he is a lead in Rutherford Falls. Mm-hmm. So it's just really fun for, to like because I haven't watched this movie actually in a couple of years. So watching it again, and I'm like, oh, they're in this now. They're in this now. They're in this yeah. now. <laughs> uh, and the mom, Tattoo Cardinal, she again has done so many projects she's very well known so these are all like very seasoned actors now and so it's just really Mm -hmm. exciting to back then this is probably one of their first roles and they have really all like blown up in the industry too Mm -hmm. you know so it's really fun it's nice and this was uh chris ayer's first feature Mm -hmm. that he directed and co-produced i want to just uh pull a quote from him that he said at a screening of another of his films entitled skins 
where he said, quote, the only thing you get in making period pieces about Indians is guilt. I'm interested in doing what non-Indian filmmakers can't do, which is portray contemporary Indians. And that's something that he seems to be very out, like passionate about. And he, he talks about this a lot because I also watched a YouTube video. Ever heard of it? Brave. <laughs> Uh, from the AFI, entitled A Conversation with Chris Ayer, Native American Identity in the Movies, in which he talks about the representation of Native people in film, how historically it has been extremely harmful and stereotypical. He talks about how he approaches representation in his own filmmaking. He talks about how to represent Native characters responsibly, especially if you're a non-Native person wanting to include Native people in your stories. So it's really interesting. Um, it's like an hour long. We can link it in the description. But I love, um, I love how passionate he is about his storytelling and his, his filmmaking and representation. And he just seems like a really cool dude. Yeah, I actually, um, whenever I was working on this episode, I had a memory come back. I've actually met him. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, many, many years ago when I was in high school, I attended a summer camp at um, Haas School Indian Nations University in Lawrence, Kansas. Mm -hmm. And he was one of the speakers uh, one of the days. And um, I was fairly shy as a 14-year-old, but I still got the gumption to go up and talk to him. I didn't know what to ask him. Oh, cool. I, he was really nice. He was pretty chill. Uh, but what I do remember is him like not being very impressed by me because I was like, how do you make a movie? And he was like, you just do it. <laughs> Figure it out, kid. <laughs> I was like, well, all right. Wow. <laughs> so, no, he was, wild. He was very cool. <laughs> That's Hell so yeah. funny. Also, I was naming big name actors and completely forgot Disney princess Irene Bedard, who was, yeah. voiced Pocahontas. <laughs> Uh, yes, of course. A movie we have yet to scale in, uh, <laughs> in the purview of this show. But I, I knew, I mean, as... Uh, child who saw Pocahontas quite a bit you know her voice right away oh yeah and she's I mean I every performance in this movie is really good um but she's like I I honestly was I forgot how what a short amount of time she's in the movie mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. especially because she's like on the poster she's like the center part of the poster yeah she's framed like she's the protagonist um <laughs> right which is I mean but but like her performance is is so good and just I don't know the performances are great to put a button on the on the Chris Error stuff I I was um I'm very excited to watch that talk and also like I mean he's still very much like a a working director he was like 30 when he made this movie mm -hmm. and he's made like 10 movies since and I was excited to learn more about his career and I I wonder um I mean, I, I want him to get access to like bigger budgets and projects if that's the sort of stuff that he wants to be doing. I don't really know what, you know, where he wants to stick, but I would love to see a huge budget Chris Hare mm -hmm. movie. That would give that him would a Marvel movie or whatever he wants. Nah, I feel like Marvel <laughs> movies waste good directors. I don't really, w I wouldn't wish Sometimes. that on him, but if he wants it, then he should have it. <laughs> sure. Uh, let's take another quick break and we'll come back for more discussion. Happy Pride from Tomboy X 
celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back. I wanted to talk about the, I mean, one of the, this movie does play into a joke we make on the show a lot, which is that ultimately every movie is about fathers and sons. <laughs> Literally at the end, I heard your voice say that. I was like, oh, she's right. <laughs> it's, every movie on the face of the planet is about a father and a son. And that is just um, a rule of movies that we cannot break. But in this, I mean, in the case of this movie, this happens to be a really, really good movie about fathers and sons. And so I wasn't mad. But I I just like, there's so many smaller themes, um, some of them culturally specific, some of them universal. But I, I don't think I've seen a movie in a long time, at least, that explores something as complicated as grieving someone who hurt you Mm -hmm. as thoughtfully as this movie does and it's not to say that like the way that victor and thomas grieve and process are correct there's obviously no correct way to grieve but all of the nuances especially the way that information is introduced in this movie where you know very early on that arnold is holding something like holding on to a lot of trauma and so it's like this kind of back and forth of like, you're like, oh, I, you know, you really feel for this character. He's clearly in a lot of pain, but then you see him physically abuse his family and you're like, well, fuck this guy. And then you get more information. Like, I, I thought that the way the movie is paced and written and the way that Victor and Thomas sort of approach, like, there's just so much going on, mm-hmm. like, and how how am I going to process this and acknowledge and make space for my own abuse and healing, which you can never make. Okay. But can you get to a point where you can 
forgive for some people that's going to be yes for some people it's going to be no but I just like I don't know I was I was crying a lot even through the wig I was crying (laughs) crying crying just watching two very specific characters try to make their peace with such a complicated paternal figure's Mm -hmm. death especially because I mean (laughs) I think one of the things we always make fun of all these movies being about fathers and sons is that there's such an oversimplification of like complex family dynamics in a lot of these movies where it'll be like a dad is a crappy dad and so he has to become santa claus in order to (laughs) redeem himself and i yes i am specifically referring to the santa claus because that's it always comes back Another famous Denny's motif in American cinema. It's an American institution. (laughs) It's an American (laughs) institution. But with this one, I think it's just, like you said, Jamie, it's just, it's handled in such a way that it just feels like a compelling story and not another like tropey movie where like, oh my God, I... I'm a son or I'm a father and I need to figure this out in the like least nuanced way possible. So like those are the movies that that I make fun of. This one, it explores things meaningfully. It examines the character's emotions. I like that you see these two extremely different approaches to grief and reconciliation that Victor and Thomas have where like mm-hmm. Thomas is... Um, yeah, it does seem to hold Arnold up on a on a pedestal and because he sees him as his savior, he owes his life to him. So he, he, a lot of his views toward him are informed by that, but he also recognizes like, yeah, this guy left his family. Whereas Victor is just like pretty straightforward. Victor's a no bullshit guy. Yeah, and he's and- like stories are fake. <laughs> You're just, like Every time someone tells Victor a story, he's like, shut up. <laughs> That's <laughs> your bullet shit. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's just, he's harboring a lot of resentment in a way that like I could certainly identify with and is, you know, very understandable. And like we said, there's no right or wrong way to grieve or to forgive. And I think a lot of what really resonated with me, at least, was the voiceover at the end. And I wish I had written it down. But it's when Thomas is saying, like, how do we forgive our fathers? Do we forgive them for doing this or doing the exact opposite of that? And it's just like a lot of he's just listing off different behaviors. And, and, uh, and it ends with a question, too. Like, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't tell you that there's one right way for this to happen. I felt very, like, strongly connected to, like, Thomas's instinct to want to. I also sort of, like, interpreted Thomas's behavior of, like, sometimes it is easier to remember someone who who hurt you and hurt people around you as this like heightened mythic superhero which Thomas clearly wants superhero figures in his life he's constantly talking about superheroes he has that whole speech before Victor chucks his canteen into the grass (laughs) about like you know we don't have a Superman we don't have a Batman we don't have a Wonder Woman and so just seeing him you know in some ways I felt like elevate Arnold to this superhero that existed in his life well it's like he does but then you find out at the end he knows like he's aware Mm -hmm. that Arnold was not a superhero but I don't know sometimes you got to tell yourself stories to get through the day and that's a huge part of grieving and and the fact that they managed to make this funny 
and like interesting to watch Mm -hmm. is just so wild yeah yeah um if i could also like provide a little historical context to you i know i kind of brought up boarding schools Mm -hmm. uh, but there are two things in play that i think can kind of help because another stereotype growing up was that me and my family were a bunch of drunk indians right which Mm -hmm. is kind of shown in the movie whenever they have parties uh that was actually a scene that hits really hard for me is victor as a young kid around all of these drunk adults for Mm -hmm. me that's one of the harder scenes to watch because that was something that happened. And I don't think a lot of people understand how that generation got there. Uh, so just to provide like all context, mm-hmm, sure. b- uh, boarding schools, I'm sure most of our audience knows, were instituted by the U.S. government to assimilate Native people. But one of the driving forces of doing that was through religion. Mm-hmm. So what they did is not only assimilate these kids and, you know, taking kids from their homes, starting in like the 1860s, -hmm. that's like when the first boarding school opened. And then within a couple of decades, they were all over the country. Mm -hmm. The use of religion in boarding schools, I think, ended around the 60s. And that is because over those centuries, the U.S. government, along with other state governments, made it illegal for Native Americans to practice their religion at all. Um, mm-hmm. You could be arrested, you can be tried, you can be put in prison. So not only do we have these generations that didn't grow up with their culture, we have the generations that were forced to not speak their culture, and then you have the generation after that grew up without culture and identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very traumatizing. Mm-hmm. I'm very lucky because my mom did not, my mom and my Nana did not grow up with that. My Nana didn't go, my mom's mom didn't go to boarding school, but my grandpa did. And my mm-hmm. Nana's aunts went to boarding school. And so I grew up with those stories. Mm-hmm. But when you have no, when your culture's been stripped, when your religion's been stripped, when your whole way of life has been stripped, then you're put into these desolate areas of the country where you have no previous religious ties to the land. What else are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You're also, they were provided too with virtually no food. So while the fry bread story is fun, we have fry bread because the government essentially gave natives flour and water (laughs) to -hmm. survive off of. So even fry bread still has like a tinge of kind of sadness to it. So Mm -hmm. of course, there's going to be generations of people that without that identity, what do they turn to? And a lot of them turn to alcohol. People always say that natives have a gene for alcoholism and we're prone to it. And I disagree. I think that when you have all of that stripped away from you, it's hard to not turn to anything else. Um, So I just wanted to also kind of provide that because y'all are right. The story of the father's son is so relatable. And this is just an extra layer on top of that of how Mm -hmm. they even ended up here. Right. And like... Similar to a discussion we have a lot on the podcast about how oftentimes, like, for example, when men write two female characters in competition and they hate each other and they're petty because that's what they've observed, but they don't explore at all why that might be or why women might feel as though they need to compete with each other. It's just like all of that context is something that they either don't understand or can't see or anything like that the same way that yes there is the stereotype of the drunk indian in media and that's just been put on film and put in tv and stuff without 
any exploration of, okay, well, why might a Native person be abusing substances? Could it be all the trauma you put them through, perhaps? Exactly. That, that's very helpful context. Thank you for providing that. And yeah, and, and that just speaks to when you have a Native filmmaker who is the one like handling the, the characters and handling the culture, it's obviously going to be presented in a way that's way more informed and responsible than someone who doesn't understand all the context and all the nuances of everything. And it's obviously why this movie is so interesting and compelling and thought-provoking. And and kind of speaking to that and, and like with that context, I feel like it's even more it makes me appreciate even more that the movie, again, like very seamlessly gives you a range of experiences with how people are dealing with alcohol abuse, where in the case of Arnold, I mean, you can argue, I mean, obviously his abuse of alcohol resulted in a lot of tragedy, but I do like that you get to see, you learn by the end that he was clean and sober. I, I like that. Um, and that also kind of brings up, we haven't really talked that much about Arlene outside of the fry bread story um, quite yet, mm -hmm. but how when Arlene sees explicitly how much their abusing alcohol is traumatizing and negatively affecting Victor when he's throwing the bottles at the truck and he's very, you know, triggered and upset mm -hmm. that that is like her, you know, light bulb moment of like, it has to end now. Like we can't do this or we're going to like destroy our relationship with our son. Yeah. And to see that moment and to see that be a moment that ultimately bonds her and, and Victor, I thought was like really, really powerful. And mm -hmm. yeah, if anyone grew up with an alcoholic parent, it's a moment that you're like, Ooh, where was that? <laughs> That's... It's very cathartic too. And also, you know, Victor is basically raised by his mom from childhood until adulthood. Um, mm -hmm. Thomas is raised by his grandma. And that is very reflective of how it actually does happen in the Native community. A lot of times it is the women that take care of the community. Not to like shit on men, but... Uh, <laughs> I mean, feel free. Have you ever heard our podcast before? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there are many Native men in my life that I love and appreciate, but they would even agree that it is almost always Native women, Native aunties and grandmas and moms that take care of the community and that really help keep us together. So it was a very cathartic moment. Yeah, when Arlene was like, we can't do this anymore. Um, and also, too, you know, the night before they asked him who his favorite Indian is and he said no one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it was a very like, I really appreciated that scene because I feel like it kind of had some resolution, even though we're only like halfway through the movie at that point. You know, mm -hmm. it kind of created a resolution a little bit for Victor. So. Right. And then when you get that part when Thomas is arguing with Victor and saying like, yeah, I, I realized that your dad left your mom, but so did you, and you did the worst version of it because you still live in the same house with her, but you're just not there mm -hmm. emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope that Victor takes that to heart, and when he goes back home, he like really puts in some effort with, with his mom. And... I feel like it's implied that it does happen. Yeah. They have that moment. I think it does. Another thing that I wanted to 
talk about was the various references to the characters kind of calling attention to how they are overlooked in American history, how they are mistreated by white people, how they are perceived as unwelcome foreigners on their own land. Mm -hmm. A few examples of this would be when the two women in the reverse car, they like drop them off at the bus station and then they're like, do you have your passports? Because you're leaving the res and going to a whole different country. And they're like, what are you talking about? We're still in the United States. And then the woman is like, yeah, that's as foreign as it gets. Like, hope you got your vaccinations. <laughs> and there's mention of them celebrating that 4th of July party to celebrate white people's independence. Mm. There's the two white men on the bus who steal their seats and displace them and... I mean, what is that but a very small <laughs> like scale <laughs> allegory for like the displacement and colonization of Native people in the U.S.? There's also that speech or that's in the middle of a, a Thomas monologue, um, that same canteen scene mm -hmm. where he's just kind of like referencing the anxiety of being displaced. Uh, he like mentions Columbus and Custer and then kind of ends it mm -hmm. by saying like, even if we you know, like set up on the moon, Neil Armstrong would come along and like kick us out. And, uh -huh. and, and the way that it just like factors into conversation in this very matter of fact way, um, I thought was mm -hmm. like so effective and good. For sure. Yeah, well, because there are like major differences between the native world and white world. And that's how it feels. It's a very strong feeling. Mm -hmm. I think one of the bigger examples for me personally, is that in my nation, women are expected to be leaders and you're expected to like hold leadership positions and you're expected you, there are a lot of expectations mm -hmm. and then outside of that nah right right um so <laughs> outside of that is the patriarchy <laughs> i'm not saying there isn't like sexism within the native community sure. that is influenced almost exclusively though by white people and christianity yeah. and all of that so that's not something mm -hmm. that inherently came from us so yeah, it's a, it's a big difference. And growing up, it was always a little weird having to go between the two different worlds because that's really what it feels like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I thought all that was very effective. Just like the mm -hmm. characters touching on it and reminding anyone who's watching who's probably not familiar with the way that white culture has affected and continues to affect indigenous people th those parts of the movie um very effectively done uh, does anyone have any other thoughts about the movie we haven't really talked about Susie. oh yes oh, yeah Susie. Susie. let's Susie talk song. about Susie. i love Susie. <laughs> i do too i really i mean and i i do like selfishly i wish that she was in the movie more but i also understand why she appears when she does and why and i also like i didn't really remember because i think i got like gaslit by the poster where i'm like oh i think she's in the rest of the movie when like that's not the case <laughs> and i was sort of like oh is this gonna be a forced love story i kind of forget i don't really remember and i really mm. like that it does not go that way where mm -hmm. Susie appears I think almost exactly halfway through the movie she's Arnold's 
friend, another person like Arnold was a vaguely paternal figure to a lot of people, including his own son. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but it, this seems like and and there are a few bizarre asides where, you know, she says like, your dad was a good looking guy. He gave me the eye a little bit. And it's like, but it, but it wasn't like that. It would like ever. And I think the movie makes that very clear, but like he became this just like, I don't know. Like I, I, I always am really drawn to, and I feel like it's never presented as a platonic friendship between a man and a woman, but like mm-hmm. two lonely people who become friends because of their shared loneliness, even if they don't have, you know, a ton in common, like they do. I mean, they had some shared culture and they were alone. And like, just the way that that friendship is characterized and fleshed out and like how much it really clearly meant to Susie and how much she Mm -hmm. really wanted to get across how Arnold had grown in his final years to his son in an attempt to kind of like at least I don't even know if it like is helping grieve but like grieve with all the facts I guess Mm -hmm. which makes sense because Victor like the whole movie wants facts but then when he's confronted with facts he's like I don't know you know like it's just (laughs) which is such a relatable Relatable. thing (laughs) yeah (laughs) you're like did I say I wanted facts I I don't (laughs) because for me it's the conflict of like yeah, I'm glad he he's sober. I'm glad he sobered up, but he never went back. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's like, if he had gone back too soon, he still would have been an absent father. So I think that's also what makes Thomas's monologue at the end so poignant. It's like, basically, he did so much wrong. It's hard to know what would have been the right move. But mm-hmm. and I also kind of feel the victor at the end. Every time I watch the ending of the movie, my feelings towards Arnold is different every time. Mm. Um, sometimes I'm more forgiving. And then sometimes I'm more angry than I am forgiving. And I think that kind of speaks to the effectiveness of how they portray Arnold Um, and all the different viewpoints we get on him through Victor and Thomas and even Arnold himself and how he views himself because of the the conversation between the two of them about what's the worst thing you've ever done. Oh, okay. (laughs) Coming in hot. I think that she's like, it was one of the first times we ever hung out. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I know. I feel I feel similarly conflicted about Arnold because I mean obviously nothing excuses abuse. Never. But Arnold clearly loved his son. He was a victim of his circumstances of, you know, living in the cycle of poverty on a reservation. Mm-hmm. You know, again, the generational trauma, the um, It's also implied that he was and I can't because it was a story Thomas was telling. So I don't know like how inflated any of the details were. But it is implied that he spent some time in jail also, like in, which is mm-hmm. a whole other trauma to have to deal with later in life. Right. <laughs> yeah. The other thing about Susie is that and I think it's just because I've been so conditioned by movies to assume that if you get attractive young people in the same square mile they will kiss so i was like oh for sure either thomas or victor are gonna kiss Susie before they leave and that never happens which i also found very refreshing Susie's a lone wolf baby she's <laughs> i i love i mean i love where they leave her story too where like she's you know it's not her m- movie 
but you do get to see like she ends by burning down Arnold's trailer in kind mm-hmm. of this symbolic gesture and then she moves on and it's like she's on her she's on a whole personal journey of grieving this very complicated person as well mm-hmm. and I just I, I, I love that the movie like takes that moment to let you know where she lands because I feel like a lesser movie would be like okay this character has served her purpose so let's you know move along mm-hmm. I also like this is such a small thing and again I feel like just a demonstration of like how many scraps um <laughs> we're forced to look for in uh women characters but we immediately find out what she does for a living we immediately find out background facts about her like victor is like okay so where are you from like how did you grow up what do you do like mm-hmm. just stuff you usually don't find out about women in movies ever um mm-hmm. you find out that she was a nurse but now she works in healthcare administration she travels a lot it's exciting but it's lonely she grew up in new york mm-hmm. which is already like 500 times more than you learn about some women who are the protagonist of a movie like i just was like <laughs> right wow and and like such a a beautiful performance from irene bedard and Mm-hmm. I just love Susie and I know like I self like we were saying I selfishly wish she was in it longer but I but I feel like the time that she is in the movie is so respectful of who she is and like gives you a full picture of who she is mm-hmm. and so I wasn't ultimately like I don't know like pissed off or extremely bothered that she wasn't in it more I would have liked it but it but I feel like the time she's on screen is used really really thoughtfully I think same applies to Thomas's grandmother and who's I don't think we ever learned her first name. I don't but so. um and and Arlene as well. Her yeah and Victor's mom Arlene where we don't get all that much screen time with them but when we do the storytelling and the character development is so effective and economical that you you know you understand these characters you feel their struggle yeah you're just you're compelled by their presence on screen so so it ultimately is a movie about fathers and sons however it's unlike also... many movies about fathers and sons the women who are in the movie are fully realized characters that have kind of a, a whole range of viewpoints and generations and like there's a lot of variety in the women that we see and then there are moments that are about mothers and sons and grandmothers and sons and Mm -hmm. even if it's not the thrust of the movie i appreciate that it's there indeed i just wish there was more Mm -hmm. yeah that's kind of my only critique i do i agree i wish we had gotten more time with Susie. i also wish or not wish i think that the story could have still been effective even without her being like and he used to eye me like i don't know that has every time i watch that i'm just like eh, that <laughs> could do with that especially <laughs> with the shirt i know we're not talking about the sherman alexi stuff but i was like <laughs> whoa yikes yeah yeah uh, yeah should we talk about the sherman alexi stuff i mean maybe just to mention that uh, i think it was in 2018 i'm guessing in light of me too yeah uh he was accused of sexual harassment by multiple women many people yeah Yeah. it's very disappointing because i have read several of his books and they were very relatable and very important to me so Mm -hmm. it's very disappointing whenever stuff like that happens so yeah 
Just why, you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, back to Susie. Um, <laughs> I just wish we would have had more of her. I also liked the way the conversation ran because, again, it's kind of how conversations with a lot of elders go. Like, who are you? Where are you from? Who's your family? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Not quite what's the worst thing you've ever done. But I liked the familiarity in their interaction. And whenever she mm-hmm. did interact with Thomas and Victor, I think in the beginning, maybe it was like, maybe a little flirtatious, you could argue that. But it also felt like um, cousins at one point, like they had become so familiar because they have a shared relative between the three of them, essentially. Mm-hmm. So I liked that feeling of it as well. So while I do wish we had more of her, I think her time in the film was very effective. Mm-hmm. And very memorable, yeah. too. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does anyone have any other thoughts they'd like to share? I'm just so happy that you guys watched this film. And hopefully after this episode, more people will go watch it and support Native films and TV shows. Mm-hmm. We're coming out, you know? <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> and this movie's streaming on Showtime right now. So if you're running your damn mouth about Yellow Jackets, you got to watch Smoke Signals because I'm not <laughs> watching Yellow Jackets. I'm tired. um yes please check out this movie if you've listened to the episode and you haven't already seen it give it a watch other indigenous filmmakers and creators check out their stuff check out their their media and their art and yeah does this movie pass the Bechdel test it definitely passes the Bechdel test but do do I does it the my question is do we ever find out what the names of the women in the car are oh that's a good question because they are named imdb but you're right i don't remember if anybody says their names to them i think that they so that caveat i'm I'm always like oh well that usually means is it is it a character who is only on screen for like five seconds and they say like two words kind of thing they have a full extended scene and are like significant enough. I'm willing to give it a pass. I'm just saying it's not hard to say someone's name. Right. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I think on IMDb, is it Lucy and Velma? Yeah. So those are those characters' names according to uh, IMDb. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they're said aloud in the film, but they are given names in the script, presumably. So I would say that counts. And they have a whole conversation about. Drinking coke and loving a song. They're just vibing. They're vibing in the car. It's really fun. (laughs) I feel it. It also passes the Ayla test. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Shout out to the Ayla test. Yes, yes. Shout out to Ali Nadi. And as far as our nipple scale goes, zero to five nipples based on an examination of the movie through an intersectional feminist lens. I would say... Even though this is a story focused on male characters and their relationship, like the the core narrative is about like a reconciliation between different male characters. That's okay for a movie to be about that. If, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you do it well and you do it like, it, and if you examine that thoughtfully. So even though women are not necessarily the driving force of the story, doesn't really bother me in this or a movie like this, where it's well-written and and a a well-crafted story. That's what I like to see more movies driven by Native women, 
Absolutely. 100%. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's not the job of one movie to do everything, obviously. Right. But definitely would like to see more more of that as well. Certainly. Um, even so, I think that this movie is just really compelling and that it is, like I said, a movie that either lets some people see themselves represented on screen in a very meaningful and thoughtful way. And for other people, it's a chance to let them learn about a culture that they might not already be familiar with. So yeah, I think it's fantastic. And I'll give the movie, I'll give it four nipples. And I will give one to Susie Song. I will give one to Thomas's grandma. I will give one to Arlene and I'll split the last one between our friends Velma and Lucy in the car driving backwards. Um, I will go I'll go for as well. I mean, I just this movie is so wonderful for such a wide variety of reasons. We were having a conversation last night about like movies that are very, very watchable and rewatchable. And this movie is so watchable Mm -hmm. and manages to tackle so much and if you are not familiar with a lot of native culture not to say that it's um you know it's obviously very regionally specific but i feel like there's a lot that non-native viewers can learn well there's like it's just there's there's just so many good things going on in this movie and it's also really fucking fun in spite of a lot of the heavier themes the performances rock mm-hmm. i love thomas I love oh. Susie. I mean, I love. Did I, I text? Like, I texted you that Thomas, aka the actor Evan Adams, yeah. is like a dead ringer for a guy I used to date, and so I like the second I saw him on screen, I was like, I have a crush on him already, <laughs> and he hasn't said a single word. Anyway, sorry to interrupt to talk about my heterosexual crush. Boring, <laughs> but that said, uh, Evan Adams is uh, my heterosexual crush. So. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Caitlin, I mean, I think we've 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 covered it. I mean, I'll, I'll dock it a nipple because I do think that there was a little more space to include Susie a little more. Uh, it wouldn't have killed the movie to include the names of the women driving backward in the car. Little things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there was room for for women a little more in this movie. But the story that is told is so beautiful and does include women pretty significantly. And it's just, I don't know, just like a very, you know, it's hard to sell me on a movie that's ultimately about fathers and sons. But this is this movie is like undeniable because it tackles the topic so thoughtfully and it's such a, an emotional journey. Um, and I think that there is a lot to be said for the men feeling their feelings and processing emotions in movies very true yes you you don't get a lot of movies that are about men processing their emotions towards each other like Mm -hmm. without like holy shit beating each other well i guess young victor does they were kids but then they grow (laughs) up kids don't know how to (laughs) and then they have this beautiful emotional and i also appreciate that at the end it's not implied that they're going to be best friends now i always feel like it's kind of like goofy when it's like two people who right. are they're not gonna like hang out every day but they're <laughs> good they they're like they've made their peace with each other they'll always have love for each other even though it's not like 
we're not gonna chill every day though you know we're like not i play just... basketball together all the time <laughs> no thomas has to go do thomas things he's busy um <laughs> he's busy trying on suits <laughs> he has more suits to wear um so I'll, I'll go for nipples and uh i'm gonna yeah give one to each of the women driving backwards i'm gonna give one to Susie, and i'm gonna give one to thomas mm-hmm. oh olivia how about you so I also agree with the four nipples. Um, I think I only dock a nipple because while the women are portrayed in a very nuanced way and circular way, um, you know, in real life, women talk to each other. Um, and I not only... <laughs> Famously. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to see it to believe it. But, uh... <laughs> uh, not only do I wish Susie had more time, but I think there would have also been room to see grandma and Arlene talk to each other. Definitely. Yes. Just because to me, that feels more realistic, either talking about their kids or talking about art or just gossiping. Like that's, that's the only reason why I want to give it a full five nipple. Mm-hmm. Maybe like, mm, you know what? I'm going to do a four and a half because this is also a nostalgic movie for me. It holds a very dear place in my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to do four and a half. I'm going to give two to grandma because we love the grandmas in our community. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give one to Arlene because she worked in real hard. Mm-hmm. And then one to Vic- one to Thomas and then the half to Victor. Love it. Fair. I don't think we can Victor any. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Victor was, uh, he was hurting. Thanks for helping him out. <laughs> oh, also, um, so as you can tell, I don't have the same accent they do um, because I not grew up on that reservation. But super quick story. A uh, year and a half ago, I auditioned for a radio play that wanted to do that type of accent. So you know how like whenever you try to do an accent, you have a phrase that you do. Mm-hmm. Mine was, hey, Victor. And I was just going around my house. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, Victor. Calling my friend, hey, Victor. So. Uh, I love that every time they would say a, a, a sentence and then say, ain't it? Yeah, in it? Uh, ain't it? It's a, it's a little kind of like vocal filler. Also, shout out to my favorite joke of the whole movie where Victor comes in to cash his check from his mom. Thomas is, it's like in a, like a, a store, a market. Mm-hmm. Thomas is there and he says, oh, I'm so sorry to hear about your dad. And Victor is like, how did you hear about that? And he's like, I heard it on the wind. I felt it in the sunlight. I heard it in the trees. And also your mom was in here crying about it. (laughs) (laughs) Also my favorite joke, too. (laughs) Amazing. Um, Well, Olivia, thank you so much for joining us and being here to talk about this movie. It was such a delight. Yes. Where can people check you out on social media? If there's anything else you'd like to plug, plug away. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you for having me on. This is so much fun. Um, As you can tell, I love this movie. So I'm always willing to talk about it. Um, You can follow me on all socials, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, (laughs) My username is the same across all three. It is at LiveNative93. That is L-I-V-N-A-T-I-V-E-9-3. And I also am a content writer for a tribe called Geek. It's a website I recommend checking out. They have partnered with Red Planet, which also hmm. produces like comic, indigenous comic books. Amazing. So we just had like a really fun fun meeting uh, about a week ago just to discuss our goals. So I recommend checking that out if you want to know about native media and comic books and movies and all that fun stuff. So yeah, Tribe Called Geek. Awesome. Dot com. Incredible. I just want to shout out one more fun fact that we didn't 
I, I didn't find a moment to touch on, but Evan Adams, who plays Thomas, uh, he's a doctor now. <laughs> he's whoa. He still does bit parts in movies, but he went to medical school in 2002. So like a couple years, because I was like, why haven't I seen him anymore? We talked about all of the actors who really blew up and it's not for any lack of any. I mean, he just became a doctor. <laughs> and as of 2014, he is the chief medical officer of the First Nations Health Authority in British Columbia. So he's like oh, wow. an S tier doctor. So good for Evan. Uh, shouts out Evan. He contains multitudes. Wow. Yeah. That makes me feel not great about my accomplishments. I'm not a doctor <laughs> yeah. yet. Your move. <laughs> But uh, no, seriously, um, Olivia, thank you so much for being here. Come back anytime. And you can follow us on social media at Spectalcast on Twitter and Instagram. You can go to our Matreon. It gets you Aww. two episodes a month. You get access to the back catalog of all the episodes. And that can be found at patreon.com slash Bechtelcast. And you can get our merch at tpublic.com slash the Bechtelcast if you're so inclined and with that let's get in the pickup truck and go home to mommy vroom vroom <laughs> zoom zoom <laughs> bye bye, bye. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.